0: Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. I appreciate the song this morning and uh, what truth there is in it. <clears throat> I'm thankful that God's always available to you and I in prayer, and um, thankful He has the power this morning. Not only will He hear us, that would be one thing, um, but I'm thankful He has the ability to answer those things we lift up to Him when they are truly prayed in his name, and uh, we're seeking his will above our own. If you have your Bible this morning, our text will come out of Galatians. Galatians chapter number four as we continue our study here. And um, we, I guess you'd say we're marking the halfway point this morning. Um, as we begin chapter number four, uh, Galatians being six chapters. And uh, I hope the our study up to this point has been been fruitful for you. And uh, refocused your attention on Christ and has helped you establish yourself in Him and in Him alone um, as your source of hope and your source of comfort. But if you would, this one, as you find your place, i ask you to stand and honor in reference to the Word of the Lord as we read. Galatians chapter number 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. The Bible says, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father." Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. God, thank you for uh, your wisdom that's given to us, Lord, and revealed to us through the scriptures. Uh, God, I pray that you'd help us this morning to submit our will to your will, God, and uh, receive the instruction that you are uh, giving us through the text this morning. Um, God, help us help our mind to be focused upon you and upon your voice today. Um, Lord, help us to come humbly before you. Uh, Lord, for the soul that's here today, that's lost, God, I pray for their salvation. Pray that the Spirit of God begin to deal with them. And uh, Lord, that spirit that was spoken of in the text would take up residence in their heart. Lord, that they might also cry, Abba, Father. God, thank you for redeeming us. Lord, thank us. Thank you for making us your own. Uh, Lord, we love you today. We thank you for loving us. And uh, Father, I pray that you'd help our focus and our attention be set upon you today. Lord, remove all the other things that might crowd in and try to rob our minds. Lord, help us to be engaged with the text this morning. God, help the word of the Lord go forth with your authority today and accomplish that which you intend for it to. And in Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. A good inheritance is something to be very appreciative of, and we have one this morning through our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, a lot of people, we may not ever admit it, but you probably from time to time or it maybe has crossed your mind of what kind of inheritance you might receive one day or maybe you've already been through that time of life where your parents have passed and you know you more. it's more real to you and more relevant to you when I speak of an inheritance. Of course, we want the person here more so than the inheritance, but there is a blessing that's left behind when there's an inheritance that is given to you and I. And a good inheritance is something to be thankful for, to be appreciative of. Well, 1 Peter 3, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that's incorruptible, that's undefiled, that fadeth not away, that's reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and it speaks in there of an inheritance. And this inheritance, it says, is incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it does not fade away. And then, one of my favorite parts of it is it says it's reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved in heaven for me. In any inheritance you receive in this life, it's going to defile, it's going to corrupt, it's going to fade away. No matter what it is, it's going to it's going to lose its value over time. But the inheritance that we have in Christ, the inheritance of God that we can receive because of our Savior. Is incorruptible, it's undefiled, and it fades not away. And God has it reserved in heaven for you and I. My question this morning is, how did you and I reach such an incredible standing that you and I are heirs of God through Jesus Christ? How did we come into such a position as that? The song which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, the old song, it says, Oh yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the King. His royal blood now flows through my veins, and I who was wretched and poor now can sing. Praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the King. How can you and I say that we are his children? When you and I are born into this world in the spiritual sense, we are not his children. We are his creation, but we are not sons of God in the most truest, in the truest sense. But now we are. Now we are heirs of God the simple answer for that this morning is, is through Jesus. And point, the significant point of all this, that's been the, the the message all throughout Galatians is that, that we cannot allow anything to become any more important or significant to us than Jesus. Nothing can begin to creep into our life and dim the light of Jesus' glory. And there's a lot of things that Oftentimes, just like for the Galatians, that the law had stepped in, this perverted gospel, or this another gospel that it's referred to, had stepped in and crept into their church. And now Paul's writing to bring all their focus and all their attention back to Jesus as their source of hope. Well, that's still what we're experiencing this morning. Our text this morning in chapter number four as it opens ties back very directly to the end, the conclusion of chapter number three, verse 29 of chapter three says. And if you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and he says, and heirs according to the promise. So this morning as we think about how do we become heirs of God through Jesus Christ, well one thing Paul does to help us understand this is he provides this illustration of our sonship. He says, now I say, so now he is drawing off that idea of heirs and how we became heirs according to the promise. He says that the heir, as long as he is a child... Differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. So here, Paul is bringing into mind, especially for his readers and their cultural, their biblical context, a, a situation that they would often encounter. And so we have to grow in our understanding of this this cultural thing that Paul's referring to. It's an earthly illustration to again extra, explain and stress our standing before God. He gives the idea of a son, a young son, who will one day inherit everything the father has, but until he becomes of age, that son was no different than a servant, than a slave that would have been in the house. The son had no power. The son had no uh, ability to make decisions. The son had no authority. In fact, it speaks of tutors and governors in verse number 2. And Those two individuals served as a function in the child's life. They were guides and and directors. They kind of protected the son. They oversaw his inheritance. I mean, the son had no real power, had nothing really in his possession as of yet, although he was the heir. And when the father approved the time and appointed the time, the son would step in and all that would be his. But until that time, he differed nothing from a servant. And the Holman Study Bible explains in the ancient world an underage heir had no rights to his inheritance. So everything the father had was his, but until the father deemed his age appropriate, it was not his at the same time. He had no claim to it. He had no power over it, no authority in the decisions. Until the father decided it was time, that that child, I I guess the sense of reached the age that they were able to have that responsibility. The child under the tutors and governors had no freedom and did not get to make any decisions, as the Bible knowledge commentary points out. John MacArthur explains these two terms, and he says that a a guardian or a tutor, as it's listed here in the King James Version, was one that was entrusted with the care of the underage child, that underage heir that had not in received his inheritance yet, while managers, or what's referred to as governors here in the text, they managed their property for them until they came of age. And all this was in place until the time appointed of the father, until the time said that the son had reached the age that he was able to receive his inheritance. Up until then he's watched and he's supervised by someone else until he matures enough that the father sees that he is deemed able to have his inheritance. That's the illustration. That's what Paul wants to bring into our mind. But now we see the development of our sonship. Now he's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's going to apply that to our situation. What does all that have to do with what he's trying to explain to you and I? And we know this is, now he's applying the illustration because he says, even so we. So now he's taking that thought that we've just looked at and studied and thought through of the underage heir that he has, all that's waiting for him, but while he's underage, it's not his. He has no Authority has no power over it. So he says, even so we, in verse number 3, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And when he says when we were children, he's not referring, Paul's not referring to the literal years in which he was a child. He's referring to a time before Jesus Christ came into the world. And at at that time, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, commentators go back and forth about what that is exactly referred to when he says elements of the world. But I think if you take in context the passage of Scripture and what's being said here, that what is being referred to is the law, the things that were there before Jesus Christ came. For the the Jews, it would have been the law. For the Gentiles, it was all those pagan religions that they followed, all the idolatry that they were involved in. And Paul is saying before Jesus Christ came, we... We lived under that bondage. We lived under the power and the authority of those things. But in verse number 4, when the fullness of the time was come, what a beautiful phrase, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law. So, but when we were children, Paul was referring to a time back before Christ was born. As we take into account verse number 4, we were under that bondage, under the elements of the world. But when God saw fit, and at God's perfect time, He sent His Son into the world, who was made of a woman and made under the law. And there's a lot of comfort that can be found in the phrase, when the fullness of time was come. Meaning at the exact moment that God had ordained for His Son to come into the world, that's when He came. At the perfect time, Jesus Christ came into the world. You think about all the events and all the things that transpired over the work over the, in the course of history, but at the exact moment when the fullness of time was come, not a second sooner than God wanted him here and not a second after Jesus Christ showed up in the world. I'm thankful for our Father's sovereignty. We can trust our life to His hands because He oversees all things, and when He deems the appropriate time for things to happen, they will happen. You can rest in His timing this morning because it's, it's perfect. You see God's loving kindness in the fact that the Bible says He sent forth His Son. God sent Him into the world so that we could become adopted sons of God. Jesus Christ didn't just—it wasn't just a happens chance that He showed up. It wasn't just a good luck on our behalf. But God sent Him into the world. We see some truths about Christ there at the conclusion of verse number 4. He was made of a woman. We see His humanity. Whereas it doesn't mention His Father where we see His full divinity at the same time. And He was made under the law which He would live and carry out perfectly. And why did God send Him into the world? Why Why did Bethlehem take place where Mary was there holding the Christ's child, well, verse number 5 tells it very plainly. It's the the wonder that you and I should never be able to get over. It's it's the thought that our minds should never be able to fully just, It will not ever be able to fully understand the depth of. He sent His Son into the world to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. The word redeem means to buy out. It means to purchase or recover from the power of another. You and I... Well, Especially the Jews were under the law, and you and I as Gentiles would have been under the, 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 the influence of pagan, paganism and idolatry, and G, Jesus Christ was sent into the world to redeem us from those things, especially as Paul's writing to a, this audience here, he says that they were under the law, that was they were under its power, they were under its now its consequences because they had failed it, they were under the repercussions of living short of the law, but God sent Jesus Christ into the world to redeem us, to buy us back, to recover us from the power that the law possessed over us. It's the beauty of the gospel that when we were separated from God, that He stepped in and sent His Son so that we could be made His once again. He purchased us while we were yet in our sins. He paid to set us free. He redeemed us that we might be Adopted as His sons. We were under the law, but it's like as if God said, I want them. Because we were under His power. We were under His bondage. But God stepped in and He said, I want them. And He redeemed us. There was no light cost, no small cost. It was His own Son. You and I should wonder forever and ever at the love of God, the mercy of God for you and I. Because without that, we could not receive the adoption of sons. We could not be a part of the family of God. We could not be heirs of God. And that's how we became His sons. But then I want us to look at in verse 6 and 7, the result of our sonship. Now, now what, if you will? He says, because your sons, now that you have this standing before God through Christ, God has sent forth the spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba. Father, knowing that God has put His Spirit into our hearts is such an assurance of our sonship. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The word sealed spoke of a Again, it's a biblical cultural instance where someone would give a signet ring, some kind of identifying mark or a stamp of some sort to another person. And it was like a legal signature saying that this person belonged to the person from which the signet ring was given. In principle, it was a testament saying who this person belonged to. And now God has given us His Spirit as a signet ring. God has sealed us with His Spirit which identifies us as His. It marks us as His own officially. And in the most... Significant sense. But also through that spirit we can cry Abba Father. The word Abba is a word of endearment. It's an affectionate word. It's a personal... It identifies our personal and intimate relationship with God our Father. That we can approach Him as a son would approach His earthly father. Through this spirit that now... Is in our hearts. We now love God. We have a heart for God. We we desire Him. We desire close fellowship with Him. It's a far cry from what we had before when we were separated from God, children of the wrath of God. But now we have His Spirit in our hearts that seals us, in which we can cry, Abba, Father. In verse number 7, you must consider verse number 1 as you read verse number 7. With the Spirit of God within us that takes up residence in our hearts and indwells us at the moment of our conversion, he says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Again, that, that illustration, so now he's bringing the illustration he started with back into our minds that Now that Christ has come, now that through Jesus we are no more under the bondage of the law, no more under the bondage of the things that we were under before Christ came, but now through Christ we are a son. We have reached that mature standing as we continue to try to explain this through the illustration that Paul presented in verses 1 and 2. Again, this wonderful standing that we have with God can be accredited to one thing. It's not the good nature of me and you, and it's not the lineage that we possess. It's through Jesus Christ. Before we were servants to those things, but now we are sons. And if we're a son, then we're an heir of God. And if up to this point in our study of Galatians, you have come to the point of saying, Wow, if it wasn't for Jesus then I would have absolutely nothing. Then I can think that we can say this morning that we've had a fruitful study in the book of Galatians. By studying through these verses myself and as I pray that the Lord has used me in your life, I'm I'm required as I study each week to look at Jesus over and over again as my only source of hope. And, hold how that should move our hearts and draw our hearts ever closer to Him. Recognizing Jesus as the means in which we become sons of God and heirs of God should lead our heart to cry out, give me Jesus. Over everything else, give me Jesus. So my question for you this morning as we stand together, we'll give a time of invitation. If uh, Ms. Kim wants to come around and Mark, you can come around and lead us. Does all of your hope today, does all of your trust for salvation rest in Jesus? It's only through Him that you become an heir of God. It's not about the, the home you're born into. It's not about your last name and your lineage. All those things before Christ, the law especially acted as a tutor and a governor. Just to kind of oversee us until Christ came. Now we look to Christ. Christ is where the stress is laid. Christ is where the significance is. If you want to be saved today, if you want to be an heir of God, you can have that same inheritance that we read about in 1 Peter. That's undefiled, that does not fade away and that's reserved in heaven for you. That's watched over just for you. But only by putting your faith in Christ. Believe upon Him. Believe upon Him. Mark, you come around and lead us. If you need to respond, I encourage you to do so.